If not, I invite you to turn with me to the 12th chapter of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12. I have said before that my very favorite time to preach is in the lead up to revival. As a pastor, that's where from the pulpit I probably get to do as much pastoring as I'm ever able to do. And so it's a it's a time that, that I enjoy as I seek after the Lord and His will and His desire for us as we lead up to revival. And that is my aim here today. And as I've been considering and thinking about our lead up here to revival, especially, I don't know if you've kind of put this together or not, but we will begin revival March 10th, and that is the day before the two-year anniversary, so to speak, of the day that all the chaos from COVID really started. If you remember two years ago on March 11, 2020, uh, we were here at the church that night, actually. We were having our regular Wednesday night Bible study, and um, if you're like me, you, you left here and you looked at your phone and suddenly had all these sorts of alerts about uh, things just kind of all of a sudden halting because of, of COVID. And really, that, that was kind of the, the, the night, the, the day that the, the world changed, as we've known it, before COVID to after. And so we're kind of having a, a revival here right at this two-year mark. And so as I was considering that, and of course the effect of COVID on the church, and us continuing, continuing to, to try to pull out of that, and, and pull out of the setbacks that, that, that we've had just as a result of, of the pandemic, and and think about how we as God's people can come closer to Him. I, I, I kind of was just writing ideas and, and notes and thoughts on these things. And I, I want to share with you what I have kind of described or, or labeled as my thesis for revival. Don't be content with anything less than what God desires for your life, for the church, for the service, this one, the ones to come, and for revival. Don't be content with anything less than what God desires. Are you satisfied with anything less than what God desires? Oftentimes the answer in reality is yes. We find ourselves comfortable at our homes and in our day-to-day activities of life and being as busy as we are. And as a result of that, we just get into these routines and we find some contentment in those where we can just get through one day to the next and it seems like we're just living life hour by hour and not even minute by minute. And as a result of that, God gets pushed somewhere to the, the back of the line or at least not in the front of the line where He should be. And as a result of that, the purpose of our lives, it gets blurred and it gets disoriented. And we end up contented with less than what God desires for our lives. As we approach this revival effort, it starts one week from Thursday night. And that means that we have something like 11 days to prepare ourselves for revivals from this moment right now. And I want you to be examining your life and identifying where it is that you are contented by things that are less than what God desires for your life. God has a purpose for every one of us. He has a purpose for Faith Church. He has a purpose for our service here this morning. He has a purpose for the revival effort that will be coming up. We don't know what it is, but God does. 
And so our desire should be that we pursue after Him such that we would not be contented by anything else but by only what He desires. And if you are contented with anything else and what God desires, I want you to know that you are out of the will that God has for your life. So how do we do that? How is it that we can come together and seek after those things that God has for us, what God desires for us. When we think about revival, I want us to understand exactly what we're talking about. Revival is for the church. Why don't you guys just go and say that with me? Revival is for the church. Thank you, Brother Jeremy. <laughs> revival is for the church. The purpose of revival is that those who have been made alive, those who have been quickened by the Spirit of God, those who are saved, who have so often found their light to be tarnished by the things that go on, they find their light to have gone dim, they find themselves as if they have, are in need of that rejuvenation, in need of being revived, that they would come together in an effort meeting, a set of services that has purpose, that they would draw closer to the Lord, and that the Spirit of God might revive them. That they'd be made alive anew. I want you to know something that those that are dead and they're and in their trespasses and dead and in trespasses of sins, those that are sinners, those that are lost, those that are dead in Christ, they can't be revived. They can be made alive, brand new, but they're dead. You can't revive someone that's already dead. Excuse me, let me say that a different way. You can't revive someone that's never been alive. That's a better way to put it. So our need today is to focus as a church in preparation for revival. If souls are saved, that would be a wonderful thing. But if the church isn't revived, we will be no better after. Those souls will be, praise God. But we as a church will still be in our same quagmire and rut looking for somehow to overcome the places that we so often find ourselves. I believe we need revival. You might say, well, Derek, do you you think that the church is in such a rough shape that it needs revived? I'll be careful how I answer that. But if I can just give you a direct answer, the answer is yes. We need revival. So I want us to be considering how and and what that looks like and what that means. I'll just say one other thing before we get into the text. As I've been trying to put into into some some words how to describe revival, I have read all those great men of God that have come before me, the Spurgeons, the the, the Pings, the Tozers, the Martin Lloyd-Jones, all these different preachers that I read after and I look after and I've read all their thoughts on revival. I've heard so many of my contemporaries and brothers that I look up to, I've heard them talk about revival. And there's any number of good ways that I've heard revival described. But as I was thinking about revival this week and how we prepare for revival in particular, what I begin to think about is how do you revive an, an old house? 
my wife's made fun of me. I had a little period there between changing jobs and I found myself watching a little HGTV. And I guess maybe that's why that's been on my mind and my wife has made sure to kind of poke fun at me for that. But how do you revive an old house? A lot of times you got to gut the whole thing. You've got to tear it down to just the drywall studs that you might be able to build that, that it would look new again. When it comes to God's people being revived, there are times we've got to be gutted. We've got to allow God to search us and to examine us for the Word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to, to pierce and to divide in two between the, the bones and the marrow, that, that which is able to do a work that man can't do, but the Word of God can, we ought to allow it to come in and take effect in our hearts that we are gutted in the terms that we are taken back to just the, 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 the bare bones, the, the, the truth, and the, the, the things that matter at the most innermost purpose of our hearts. Those things that when we are standing before God on the day of judgment, when we are laid bare before the throne of God, what in that moment will we cling to? It won't be anything that you've done, but it will be solely what Christ has done. And so as we begin to take a step back, we begin to look inwardly, and what must take place for us to be prepared for revival? I want you to know that we're not like the Pharisees. Listen, we're going to be in the 12th chapter of the book of Luke today, if I ever get there. But in the 11th chapter of the book of Luke, we see Jesus, and He's giving some teaching there. And He's talking about the Pharisees. And He makes this point about the Pharisees, how they're always concerned about the outside of the cup. They want to make sure that the outside looks good, and they're not worried about the inside. We're not like the Pharisees. God's taken care if you've been saved by God's grace. He's cleansed you inwardly. And so if all you're worried about is cleaning up the external things of your life, I want you to know you're missing the point of revival. You can clean up the external things of your life all day long and somehow make others think that you've somehow become a little bit better of a person. But I want you to know, if you inwardly remain far from God, you are missing the point of revival. A revival effort is not some convention that you come to where you hear some good preaching and some good testimonies and things and you leave feeling a little a little bit more energized by those things and you feel a little bit better and, and you're excited about the Lord again. Those things, the problem with them is that they're temporary. Brother Craig mentioned about when the preachers go down to Old Union every year and we come back fired up. And we do. Because we've sat amongst God's people and the Spirit has been with us for those three days and we've heard the power of preaching and all these things that has an impact on our hearts and upon our souls and we come back and we're rejuvenated and we're excited. But what happens? That excitement begins to wear off. There have been revivals over the course of history that have completely altered and changed the course, not just of a church, but the course of communities, the course of, of regions. 
that had changed history as a result of the revivals that were taking place. I think sometimes we have this mistaken idea that there's going to be an evangelist that's going to come and he's going to preach some good sermons and he's going to fire us all up and we're going to be right back at the, on, the, on our horse and we'll be ready to go. And maybe we will be. But if we are, without getting down to the root of the thing, we're only going to be that way for a little while. I want to see a revival at Faith Church that lasts for generations. I want to see a revival at Faith Church that alters the community of Franklin, Indiana. I want to see a revival at Faith Church that we can't contain it and it spreads to the churches that are around us. You might say, well, Derek, your desires are they're, they're too high. I personally don't think that they are. Twelve ordinary men called by God, sold out to His purpose, leaving everything else behind and forsaking God and following Jesus, turn the world upside down. And you don't think God can start a revival in this church that changes this community? I'm convinced that He can. I would go so far to say that it's even God's desire that His church would stand as a pillar and as a light right here where He's placed us. Right now. To a world that is around us that is lost and dying. And you say, well, Derek, how can you be so certain of that? Here's how. God has told us in His Scriptures that the church truly is the pillar and ground of the truth. That it is a light. That we are a city that is set on a hill. That we are individual candles that have been set on a candlestick that have been purposed to, to, to shine our light into darkness. And He has also said that it is not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so we can see by these things that it must be that God's desire is that He would use His church to reach those that are lost and dying. Let me say this. God's chosen vehicle for the Gospel is the true church of Jesus Christ. So we can't just want revival. We need revival. I need revival. I'm not prone to anything less than you all are. Getting stuck in the repetition of life. The challenges of life. Those things that it just doesn't seem like any one of us can rise above. And so we need the help of the Lord. Normally, I have about a month and lead up to our revival to preach and to prepare us for revival. Right now, I got two weeks. So I guess I'm saying y'all just get comfortable. <laughs> but read with me here in the 12th chapter book of Luke, beginning at verse 22. And it says, And he said unto his disciples, this is Jesus talking, it says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on, talking about clothes, the life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens, 
Consider the birds. They neither sow nor reap. They don't have storehouse or, or barns. Yet God feeds them. How much more are you better than the birds? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his height, to his stature, one cubit, or add 18 inches to how tall you are? If you then be not able to do that thing which is least, why do you take thought for the rest? Consider the lilies. He says, consider the flowers, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Isn't that wonderful? God knows your needs. That's what Jesus just said. He says all the world needs these things. We need clothes, we need shelter, we need food, we need drink. And all the world is busy seeking after these things. All the world is busy seeking after these things. When they attain them, they want more. They want better. We were on a trip a couple weeks ago on vacation with my parents, and I hadn't had a bologna sandwich on white bread in a long time. You see, I gotten used sometimes to eat something that may be a little better than what you would typically think about, or maybe what you ate when you were a kid. I enjoyed it. My kids, they eat a lot of peanut butter and jelly sometimes. They get older, maybe they'll have something that might seem a little better to them than peanut butter and jelly. All the world seeks after the same things. Food, water, drink, clothes, houses, shelters. When we attain, we want more, we want better. A bologna sandwich, a peanut butter and jelly won't do anymore. We want steak. You see, we have this kind of quagmire of life, don't we? Where we just keep seeking after more and after better. Here's what Jesus says. He says, all the nations seek after these same things. God knows that you have need of them. Then He says this, but rather, seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. Did you hear that? It's calling us out of the quagmire of life. Everyone else is seeking after the same things that we find ourselves in a rut seeking after. He says, God knows you need those things. And He's a loving Father. He's such a better father than me. That means that you know sometimes I give my kids a peanut butter and jelly and that's the best they got. He gives us far better, doesn't he? He's a loving father. He says, your father knows that you have need of these things. He'll make sure that you have them. So seek ye first. It says in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Church, you want revived? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then he says in verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock. 
I love it when I see that in the Scriptures. You see that in a couple of different places where Jesus calls His disciples, calls His people a little flock. He's the Good Shepherd and He's talking to His sheep. And He says, don't fear, little flock. Oh, we're not the members of an abundant big pasture, but our shepherd is better than anyone. Fear not, little flock. (laughs) Can't you just see Jesus looking at His disciples as He said that? Don't be afraid. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And now He tells us that it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What's He saying? He's saying, if you seek, you will find. Because it is the Father's good pleasure that you would receive it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So He says, sell it you have. And give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupts. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You've heard these things said before time and again. You've heard them preached on time and again as it relates to those things that we would be seeking after and desiring after. That we would not lay a hold of our stuff as though it's stuff for us to have here. As I just said earlier, all of our stuff it should be used for the purpose of the glory of God. We're merely stewards of all that God has given us here. He has trusted it to us that we'd use it for a little while because it's not ours to keep. You've heard it said before, you've never seen a hearse with a luggage rack. Never seen a hearse hauling a U-Haul. And yes, I know there's that picture on the internet that shows a hearse hauling a U-Haul. But you get the point. We can't take any of this with us. So it must be then that we are merely stewards of it for a little while. And God entrusts us with whatever it is that we have, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little, God has trusted it to you for the purpose that you would use it for His honor and glory. You hear me? God's purpose for anything that you have is that you would use it for His honor and for His glory. That applies to whatever it is. (laughs) I just think that's so cool. That the God of all creation, the God under whom's authority all things that exist have been made, He gives to us as He would desire, and He trusts us to use those things for His honor and for His glory. Whether it's the smallest thing, or the biggest, that you would use it for God's purpose. Now listen, you can agree with these things. But like I said earlier, this isn't about the external. This is about the internal. Because outwardly, any one of us can say that we agree with these things. But inwardly, what we struggle with so oftentimes is that we can't somehow let go of our desire to seek after these things. 
That we might consume them on our own. That we might have them for ourselves. That we might consume them or somehow attain them. That we might look to ourselves and see what, and say, look what we have accomplished. This isn't about an external cleanup of our lives. This is about an internal cleanup. An internal work. All that Jesus concerned Himself with. (laughs) So often you see the disciples struggle with this. In fact, we're going to see the disciples struggle with this. We won't get to it. But the verse that I'm going to stop at, the very next verse, you see Peter, as he so often did, struggling with understanding the context that Jesus was talking about. You know what Peter's question was to Jesus? He said, hey, hey, Jesus. I don't think that's how he did it, but just this purpose here. He said... When you said those things, were you talking to us? Meaning like, like the disciples? Or were you talking to all these other heathens around us? Peter's like, I, I don't know if I want to get rid of all my stuff. Right? Jesus, he starts teaching. He goes on teaching. But actually, if we look over in the book of Mark, we can find the answer that Jesus gave. He says, if I said it to you, I've said it to everyone. He was saying, what I'm saying is for everyone. Not just for you or for someone next to you, but for everyone. This applies to us. And like Jesus so often was, His concern was the heart. The disciples continuously misunderstood this. The Pharisees misunderstood this. So often they were looking at the Pharisees themselves. They were expecting that when the Messiah came, He was bringing an earthly kingdom. The disciples, they would hear Jesus teach. They thought it was something that they needed to do outwardly. Isn't that what we see the response when Jesus washed their feet? They said, well, listen, if it's about making me clean, wash my head also. Again and again and again, they would misunderstand that the purpose that Jesus was giving as examples outwardly were about the inward condition of man. And that's what Jesus is talking about here again. It is about the inward condition, both of those that are lost, but also of believers. Oh, listen, if you've been saved by God's grace, you are as, as, as good saved as you've ever been. But if you're like me, sometimes you find yourself struggling, getting caught up in things that cause your light not to shine quite as brightly as it wants to. We're going to get to that in just a second. It says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he says, let your waist, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when He will return from the wedding, that when He cometh and knocketh, that they may open unto Him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching. Verily or truly I say unto you, that He shall gird Himself and make them to sit down to eat and will come forth and serve them. And if He shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. And Jesus here, He's, he's speaking, and you've heard these parables preached about in, in a much longer discourse as we find them over in the book of Matthew. He's referencing two different parables. One that's being regarded as the, the parable of the ten virgins. And I'm going to reference that a couple of times here in a minute, and we'll see that deeper. He's also referencing the one as who be staying up at all hours, this watchman who would stay awake to see that no one would break through. He said, but if the watchman knew what hour 
the one would enter, he would see to it that no one would come in and rob him. He's calling us to the urgent need of looking inwardly. Remember, Jesus said, if I said this to you, I've said this to everyone. The urgent need of looking inwardly. Why? Because we don't know the hour or the time that the Son of Man is returning. I'll tell you all that I know about when Jesus is going to come back. It's soon. That's all that I know about it. I don't know if that means in the next five minutes. I don't know if that means the next five hours or five days or five weeks or the next 500 years. I don't know. All that I know is that Jesus is coming back soon. And so we do well to make sure that we are ready for His appearing. Now, you who are lost, you have the most urgent need to make yourself ready for His appearing because I want you to know that when Jesus splits the skies open and we see Him return, you all at that, at that very moment, it would be better that you would have not been born than that you would face the Lord and Judge of all the earth without being saved. But then also, for we who are saved, it is good for us to be watching and anxiously awaiting the return of Christ, seeing to it that we are prepared as a bride adorned for her husband when Jesus shall come back. Are you prepared? I don't mean are you saved. I mean are you ready for Jesus to come back? Are you living in a way that if Jesus came back right now, He would look to you and be pleased with your life? parable of ten virgins. I'm not going to go read all of it. You can read over it in Matthew 25. But there is one aspect to that that I want to bring out to your attention. We know that that parable, there's the five wise virgins, the five foolish virgins. The, the foolish virgins were the ones that, that they didn't make preparations for the, the husband to come, for the husband to come, and so they weren't ready. But the, the wise ones, they were ready. And so when that cry went out that the marriage was ready, when the time was come, what did they do? Is that they arose and that they trimmed their lamps and they were ready. They trimmed their lamps. I want to close to you, close today by talking to you about lamps. Now I gotta tell you, I don't know too much about oil lamps or kerosene lamps. I've been to a cracker barrel a couple times, so I I don't know if that makes me an expert or not. You've probably seen them there. My aunt used to have one. And I played with hers a few times. And it had this little knob on the side of it that was attached inwardly to, to the wick. And you could raise that wick and you could lower that wick. At the bottom of this lamp was a, a reservoir or a type of, of container that you would pour the oil in or the kerosene in. That wick would go down into to pull that up. And there'd be a little piece on top of that. And then there'd be a globe or a chimney that would rise up out of that. It was always glass and clear so that when you would light that lamp, it could shine through and give light to that which it was around. That that was around it. The problem with those lamps is that you had to take good care of them for them to work as well as they were supposed to. If you didn't trim that wick, you would end up with a, a light with a lamp that wasn't burning right. It would get charred at the top and it wouldn't burn as, as bright as it should and it would put off more soot than it should. And you know what would happen when it would put off soot? 
it would make that globe or that chimney that was on top of it, it would make it real, real dirty and it would dim light that was within. I hope you see where I'm going with this. More importantly, I hope you see where Jesus went with this. Didn't you hear what he said? He said, let your ways be girded about and your lights be burning. As we prepare for revival, we need to take stock inwardly, outwardly, of our lives and the effect that they are having on our land. Is our light shining as it should? Is our lamp clean? Our globe clean that it can shine out brightly to the world that is around us? Are we walking with the Lord day by day, seeking after Him and following after, after Him in the Scriptures, desiring after Him in prayer that our wick is trimmed and is cut and it is prepared just right to put off the brightest light that it can? I want you to know I did a little bit of research about trimming a lamp. And as I did that research, I learned that there was all types of ways that you can trim a wig to get certain kinds of light. You can trim it to a point that you might end up with a real pointed flame. You can trim it to a curve that you can end up with a real curved flame. You can even trim it in such a way that it would produce two flames. The point that I'm getting to is that there is a preparation that you can make, that you can be used of God exactly as He desires to use you. I don't know the specifics of your life and your individual purpose with God. I know mine. He has called me to pastor. He has called me to preach. He has called me to be a husband and to be a dad and to be a friend and to be a brother and to be a son. He has these purposes in my life. And then because of those purposes, I can look and I can study in His Scriptures and I can seek after Him in prayer and say, God, You have these purposes in my life for me. Prepare me that I might be used of You rightly according to your scriptures according to what I find in prayer that I can be effective for your work that my life might be clean that this globe this vessel this earthen body in which we carry this light that it might be able and be clean that others can see my light shining That inwardly, my walk with the Lord would have me so prepared. That spark that ignites a revival, that I am ready not just to burn, but to burn white hot for the Lord. Are you ready to burn white hot for the Lord? That was a question that Jesus posed a lot of times to those that would follow Him. And there were some, they were ready. And they would leave whatever they were doing and they would follow Him wherever He would go. And there were others that they would say, I'm not ready. I have a field that I purchased and I need to go and prepare it. I have sick family back at home 
let me go and say goodbye to them. All these reasons that kept them from being ready to burn white hot for the Lord. We have a good deacon here at Faith Church. He gets worried about me a lot of times. But I'm, as he describes it, burning the candle at both ends. I've got to be honest, I don't quite understand how that is possible. One at one end, be on top of the other, I don't know. And I appreciate those concerns a lot. But I want you to know, if there is anything for us to burn wide open for, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there was times when I was in school where, man, I'd be up all night studying, preparing. There wasn't this many times, but there were times where those things were happening where I was doing everything and putting every effort that I could into being a student. There's been times at work where I have stayed up all hours of the night to prepare for whatever it was that I needed to prepare for, for work. And I would give every ounce that I could to, to be good at the work that I was doing. And each of those things, there are commendable aspects to them. And at the end of the day, I graduated and they gave me a piece of paper that said, graduated. At the end of the day at work, they gave me a paycheck and I got to go and get those things at food, clothes, and shelter that we read about a little bit earlier. If we burn white hot, wide open for the Lord, our reward is better than the certificate that hangs on the wall at my house that says I graduated. It's better than a paycheck. It's a reward that will have an effect throughout all eternity as we enjoy the presence of God for ages and ages. It is a reward, as we read about, that no man can touch. A reward that no one can take from us. A reward that rust can't corrupt. A reward that can't be eaten by a moth that would break in and eat on the clothes hanging in your closet. I desire revival. But my desire for revival, your desire for revival, it will not be revealed in however we would classify the success of that week. Those, those four days that we've set aside for revival. Revival will be realized by your life, by your walk with the Lord. by the life that you reveal every day. If you desire revival, it's not just about being here and ready for the revival service. It's about preparing now. It's about preparing your life. That when that spark that we pray God would bring to ignite revival in the hearts of His people, that when it sparks that 
inward light of yours that is prepared and it's ready and you're able to burn white hot for the Lord. Let me just ask this question. Have you ever been around somebody that you would say they're just burning white hot for the Lord? Have you ever been that person? I've been both. It's a joy to be around somebody that you know is burning white hot for the Lord. You just want to be there next to them and praying for them and helping them any way that you can. I remember the first time I met Brother Phil Mayo. He was helping Brad with the tent revival out in Fairland. And he was somebody like the witch I've never met before. And I thought, man, he just, he just has such a desire for the Lord. It just seems like all the time. I just wish I could contain it. If I could just make that an energy drink, I would, I would drink it. Then there's been just fleeting moments of my life where I've been burning white hot for the Lord. Oh, and if I could just contain that. If I could just keep that going. It's far better than even being around somebody who's burning white hot for the Lord. I want to see some of you get on fire. Let me, let me change that statement. I want to see all of you get on fire. I want to see it spread. I want to see a revival. Let me, I'll, I'll truly close with this. Last week, I told you I got some transitions happening, and so I'm preaching still in a different way than I'm used to. I got home, or drove home last week with my wife, and she said, you know, she said, I could tell a difference in your preaching today. And I said, oh, no, you could. She said, well, not in your preaching. It was more that you couldn't stop preaching. And <laughs> so y'all pray for me. <laughs> my first year of pastor here was the year of my life that I've learned more than I ever learned before. It was summer of 2012 and stretching into 2013. I want you to know in June of 2013, we had a revival. And it remains the best revival effort that I've ever been a part of in my life anywhere, ever. And I want you to know it was that revival that I stand to reason today, and I'll, I'll just tell you here publicly, it changed the course of Faith Church. And I don't believe that that type of event has to just be a one-off. I believe that revival is waiting for us. And revival will be found when we pursue to be near unto God. Life is found in the Lord. And if we desire to be revived, if we desire that we would be brought back to life, as it were, it will be because we find ourselves being brought back to a close relationship with the Lord. And I pray maybe something today that's been said, been done, can help us as we pursue in that direction. Someone on your heart.